Now it's the time to record. So the Gemara says, Amar Avanan, כל הקבור בארץ ישראל, כאילו הוא קבור תחת המזבח. Someone who's buried in the land of Israel, it's considered that he's buried under the altar of Hashem. It's a very thing, very good thing. So the Gemara says, the Gemara starts the argument. If you're allowed to bring him in, so the Gemara says, final answer, it's not the same when he comes alive and dies in Israel, or when he dies in overseas and they bring him in. It's better to go to Israel and to die. That's what a lot of older people do. The last years of their life, they go, they move to Israel. They make Aliyah. Why? They want to die there. You know, and the time Mashiach comes, within four years there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. All the wounds of the righteous people will have to roll into Israel. How would they roll? There's oceans. It goes under the oceans, because every ocean in the bottom has earth. Under, God makes a hole, a tunnel, all the way, and all the bones begins to hold. And they come, all the bones come to Israel, to a valley, and everyone rise. The resurrection of the dead, which I told you once, that it already happened. So the Gemara says that the roll, to roll, it's painful. The righteous people will not enjoy that rolling. The bones of the righteous people. So the question is, why Rav Hankin from Manhattan? So what do you learn from that? It was a big Talmud Chacham. was the level of Rav Moshe Feinstein. Not just a person. So what's the answer to that is? The answer is, it's better to have pain than bother all the people. Sometimes people say, I'm going to bother this guy, bother this guy. You help me, you help me, you help me. Come, help me clean. You can do it yourself, do it yourself. Don't bother others. Every year, travel back for, and, it, and a lot of people cannot afford it just to take the body to Israel. It's a big expense. And he wrote it, and believe me, I promise you, when the time comes, Hashem won't make him suffer a bit. Why? He did for them, not for him. And that's, the, that's the, the, one of the most important things in life, to do for others. Yaakov Avinu Jacob was 100% righteous, and he knew it. And the Gemara says, in Masechet Ketubot, Im metim shebechutz la'aretz chayim, the Gemara says that the death of Ad of Israel consider a lie, because in the resurrection of the dead they will rise again, they will be resurrected. Why did he bother his children? That's the question that we're arguing now. Why did he bother his children to bring his bones with them when they go? He made them swear that they don't leave Egypt before they bring the bones with them. Don't leave him over there. So what is he, what is he worried so much? Anyway, he's going to be resurrected. So, the, and the Gemara asked the same question. Yosef, Yosef was tzaddik. Yosef, the Torah says Yosef was tzaddik. He knew he's righteous. He knew who he is. Why did he bother his brothers? The same thing. Not to leave Egypt before they take his body. So the Gemara answered, because they didn't want the sorrow of ro- being rolling in a tunnel in a mechilot, in a resurrection of the dead. The Gemara says here, in the same thing, the Gemara says, you should always be worried and be careful about three things. Do not see too long every day. And make, do not, do not walk too much, too much, do not walk too much. And you should not this is the way this is the way you should make your day. One third walking. One third of the day. 
one one third stealing and the Gemara say why is it if a person stands too much it's difficult for his heart he's going to have heart problems if he stands all day barber all day stands it's not good for the back and it's not good for the heart the back it's my world the heart is the Gemara world it's better you believe the Gemara not me but the Gemara says it's not good for the heart if you stand all day it's not good for the heart if you walk too much what happens it ruins your eyesight you can't see good the more you walk it's affecting the vision and when you see too much what is it it's called hemorrhoids people suffer from that why because you see too much so the Gemara say you want to be healthy try to set your day in a way you have to sit at work a few hours or you you know register your seat or in the office what can you do a few hours you sit try to walk third to walk that means few hours walking every day we don't even walk 300 feet we don't walk you have to walk you do some sport you run it's good yeah what is the demand about warm or hot climate in cold climate <laughs> 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 yeah that's, i don't understand the question <laughs> You know what it is, I tell you what it is. There, we see, basically, clearly, that too cold is not good for the health. And too hot is also not good for the health. What's the best weather? So, so, 60 degrees, 65, 70, that's a good weather. Too much, too much, too, too hot, it's not good. It causes all kinds of problems, asthma, this, that, all kinds of problems. Too too cold, it's lungs problem, all kinds of other problems. People can get heart attacks from the cold weather. If you play, if you go to play basketball in, a, in 10 degrees outside, what happens? You're risking your life. Obviously, the cold weather is very dangerous. Also, it causes problems to the bones, to the joints, many other problems. We see it. The best thing, like everything the Rambam writes in his medical uh, chapter, average is the best, except pride. When it comes to pride, there's no average. You have to stay from pride away all the way to the other side. Everything else is average. So the reason I asked is I, I understood maybe what the Gemara is in the Kabbalah that the hot climate is good for the heart and the cold climate is good for the brain. Right? Could be. It could be. I never saw it. But uh, it could be. Okay, let's continue. The Gemara says, those who speak to God, live always. Ayom means every day, every time you read it, you're alive. So the Gemara says, is it possible to speak to Hashem? Is it possible? What is it, a stamp? You put on the envelope? So the Gemara says, there's few ways to speak to Hashem. What is the Torah meaning when they say, the Torah says, speak to Hashem? First one, pay attention to what we talk here, because it applies to us. If you have a daughter and you make sure your daughter marry a Talmud Chacham, Hashem consider that you are stuck with him. Great idea. You have a daughter, you earn two. One, you have a great husband, great son-in-law. Great, you have a Talmud Chacham, always the Torah and the tables, and holidays and Shabbat. You respect your daughter much better than a Burva Amaret, than an ignorant. And the best part is that Hashem considers you as a great mitzvah that you make sure your daughter marries someone who knows a lot of Torah. Second, you find a way to make anyone that is a Talmud Chacham, that learns Torah, whatever, teach Torah, you find a way for him to do business, to make a living. 
you help him to go into business, you help him in advice, you make investment for him, you do everything. This is the language of the Rangmar. That's another way that consider that Hashem consider you that you are hand to hand with him. The third, you give out from your own money to Talmud Chachamim. That's the third category. That means people sit and learn Torah, you give them money, you help them. You help, in other words, you're giving, you're giving money to yeshiva or to people who sit and learn Torah. Right away you fall into that category. Those who are stuck with God live forever. It doesn't mean material living, it's talking spiritual living, forever. The Torah says, the Torah comes to testify for that guy. He is the book by Hashem. Stick to Hashem. Stuck with Hashem. 100%. One unit. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Chia Rabbi Yosef, Atidim Tzadikim Shemebatzbetzim Volim Biyerushalayim. The righteous people that would resurrect will comes up and comes to Yerushalayim in a time of the resurrection of the dead. Also, how do they wake up? With clothes or without clothes? That's the question. The Gemara says, they come up with their clothes, ready. They get up, sunny day today. Beautiful. After 2,000 years, 3,000 years, imagine Abraham Avino, 3,500 years, he gets up. He looks, he sees cell phones, antenna, buildings, what's going on? Where am I? That's what's going to be. With his clothes. Interesting. There will be people with all kinds of clothes. He's going to have a sack, you know, like an Arab with a cane, and somebody else will come with a suit. A rabbi from, is looking at him. Everyone, all kinds of colors, all kinds of accent. Interesting. Think about what's going to be. We hope to get there. Then, the Gemara says, we learn it from Kalva Homer. I once told you, Kalva Homer means it's needless to say. If this is like, if this is easy, for sure this is easy. If this is hard, for sure this is hard. What does it mean? The Gemara says, look, learn from a wheat. The wheat, you put it naked in the ground. And it comes out with few clothing. It's covered here and covers again and covered here and protected from here and there and there. The righteous people that were buried with their clothes, it's needless to say they come up with their clothes. If it's wheat and clothing inside the earth, the righteous people, and obviously this is not really the way they learn it, it just brings you a nice idea to understand that the righteous people will come ready to go. They get up. You know Rabbi Meir Baal the Gemara tells us that he asked to be buried standing, not laying down. He was standing ready to go. When the Mashiach comes, he will be standing. He doesn't want to lay down. So they bury him standing like this. They made a hole and they bury him in the ground. I know a story about one rabbi that he wanted to be buried with his suitcase. Yes, he had all his years freely and everything. He puts in his suitcase and he says, when the time comes for the resurrection of the dead, I'm going to need that stuff, nothing else, this. And they do it. There, were, there was one mashgiach in Lakewood, in yeshiva of Lakewood. Everywhere he went in his life, he was going with a bag. Always. So why is carrying the suitcase everywhere you go? So because when the time mashgiach comes, I'm going to have my important stuff with me. I don't want to start looking for it. There's panic in the world. But I have it on me. With me, I know for sure. What do you learn from that? That he lived according to one of the 13 foundations of Judaism to expect mashgiach every second. 
One time I asked the rabbi, why don't you, all these years you hear, you never bought a house here? He said, I don't want to buy a house. Because maybe tomorrow Mashiach comes. Maybe tomorrow. If I buy a house, I go in the house, it's going to be a waste. I'm going to have to go to Israel. Why do I do it? The idea is living with the expectation. I, I once asked a person, that's all the books you have. He said, every time I want to go buy books, I think maybe Mashiach comes today. It's a waste. I'm going to carry all these books. What am I going to do? If they, if no, it's not. If, if there are people that live according to this expectation. You need to train yourself because this is the Rambam right. There are 13 foundations of Judaism. One of them to expect Mashiach. And by the way, the Gemara teaches us that this is the third question in a judgment day. The third question, the first one, if you learn Torah every day, set up time for Torah every day, first question. Second question, if you are honest in your business, you didn't cheat, you didn't steal, you didn't sell refurbished, you know, for price of a new, all these kinds of tricks. You didn't sell tuna salad from five months ago and mix it every day with the four beautiful put a tomato, a carrot, you know, you make it beautiful. Hey, it's kosher, I mean, it's fresh. Whoa, it just came out. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the nylon, the plastic bag just came out from the thing. But the tuna salad, oh, you go home. For two days, you, you, you have a stomach virus. Why? You don't know where. You ate here, you ate there. You don't know where it comes from. That's a crook. Amar Rabbi Shimon. In the future to come, it will be a day that Hashem takes the sun out of the shell. This is what the prophets write. Tzadikim, the righteous people, it's a cure for them. It doesn't do anything to them. You know what? We're talking thousands of degrees, millions of degrees. Nothing. You stand here, everyone is burning, and then nothing happened to them. The wicked people need Onimba, being judged with this, with this sun. The interesting part about this, what's going to be or not, we don't know. It's hard for us to imagine. What does it mean, Hashem, take it out? The interesting part is that the Gemara knew that the sun has a shell. And this is what the scientists only found recently. There's no way to see. By looking at the sun, do you see a shell? So the Mara says, Hamar, King David wrote it in Tehillim 3,000 years ago. Hashem Hashem oil Bahem. Hashem put the sun inside the shell. Oil means cover. The sun has a cover. In the middle of the sun, it's 15 million degrees. Inside of the shell, it's 2 million degrees. Outside of the shell, which is a thin compared to the size of the sun, it's like an orange. Imagine an orange. He has a pill. From inside the pill, 2 million. Outside of the pill, 6,000 degrees. By the time it gets all this destination from the sun to, to, to the earth, it counts 70 degrees, depending if it's Miami, New York, depending on the, on the angle of, of Kadur Haaretz of the earth, it counts 70, 80, 90, 50 degrees. Human, human beings can live there. Program exactly. The question is, who knew the sun has a cover? Only the creator of the sun. Is that the hiding of the light? No, that's the shell. That it, the sun is a, a balloon, is a gas full of uh, full of energy. You make a hole in it, it all explodes out. It burns everyone here. Yeah, the cover. Ah, no, that's something different. No, no, the hiding is something else. That the first light that God made was not the light that you think, but the light of the sun. It was a spiritual light. That spiritual light made light without a material object. 
sun is a material thing that creates a light, energy, a light bulb. It makes light here. The first light that Hashem created was a spiritual light, and later He took it, and He's keeping that light for the future to come to the righteous people. This is this is the what it, what in a four day that Hashem made the sun in a four day, and He hung the sun and the moon. That's three days after the first light was made. The first light was made, uh, it's called Oraganuz, the hidden light, when Hashem took it away from the material world, and in a future to come, He's going to bring it back. The Gemara says, it's a very good sign for human beings to be a shy person. Sometimes people say, ah, he's a shy guy, he doesn't have confidence, don't go out with him. He's quiet, he's always sitting, he hardly talks. Why do you need somebody else? You need someone that talks, not necessarily. The Gemara says, someone who's shy, that means he has an embarrassment. He is aware of, of certain things. Not that easy he falls into a sin. Because of the embarrassment, it holds him back from making sins. The Gemara says, if people don't have any embarrassment, let's consider Azei Panim. And what the Gemara says, Az Panim again on. Someone who has no, is not ashamed of anything, is no embarrassment, nothing. What is it considered to be? Aspanim. Chutzpah. Someone with chutzpah. Someone with chutzpah is the first candidate to hell, Chas Shalom. The Gemara says, Ha'u Gavra, De'ava Masik Bechavre Zuze, a person that gave money to his friend, Ata Lekameh De'ava, he said, he came to court, and he said, I lent that person money. That person said, I paid you. I paid you the money. He said, okay, let's come swear that you gave him the money. And he says, no problem. Bring the Torah. They bring the Torah. He puts his hand, and he swears in the name of Hashem, he gave them the money. The other person holds the stick, the stick, and gets angry, he breaks the stick, all the money comes out of the stick. What do you learn from that? That he's a thief. Why is a thief? Knowing he's going to give him back the money in six months. When he makes money, he's going to give him back the money. Don't worry, Rabbi, I won't die before I give him back the money. But he doesn't want to swear in the name of Hashem, knowing the money is in him. So he put the money in a can, he gives it to him, he holds it right there, he makes the swear. I swear, the money that he gave me is in his hand. And the other, Hashem makes the other guy as an idea, he breaks the stick, all the gold coins comes out. Even the wicked people, they were thinking in a way to do it in a kosher way. Rabbi Ishmael Omer, circumcision. It's in a very important mitzvah. God made 13 different covenants with the Jewish nation on that mitzvah of circumcision, Brit Milah. It's so important that it comes before Shabbat. When it falls on Shabbat, you do it on Shabbat. And in Shabbat you're not allowed to cut. You're not allowed to make a person bleed on Shabbat. So, you see that if if it falls on Shabbat, it's delay Shabbat. That means it's very big mitzvah. Not only that, Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha says it's such a great mitzvah, circumcision, that Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest person ever lived, with all his mitzvot, when he went on the way in the desert with his wife and his son, he couldn't make circumcision because you're on the road. On the road, it's not sterilized. You know, it's very dangerous. You can't risk the baby. Wind, sand, rain, problem, heat, 
sweating, infections, you're not allowed. As soon as they got to the hotel, in less than an hour, he was about to die. With all his merit, with all his great mitzvot, with all the, with, with his importance in the creation, Moshe Rabbeinu, because he didn't circumcise his son as soon as they got to the hotel, he waited an hour, one hour. And the hour that the Gemara means is Shah, that means a certain period of time. It doesn't mean 60 minutes. certain period of time. Who knows, five minutes, ten minutes. He was delaying with this mitzvah. His wife saw the angel of death comes to that baby and falls in his head and goes all the way down to his breath. And then from the earth, goes all the way down and stops right here. So she, she understood if the angel comes and surrounds him all the way from the head to the circumcision, and then he leaves him and he comes back and he goes from the earth all the way back to the circumcision, there's something over there. She realized right away. She took a stone, she made a circumcision to her son, and Moshe Rabbeinu's life got saved. That's what the Gemara says. Another hour, it will not be Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? You don't play with this mitzvah. That's why, in the religious world, we don't wait for two in the afternoon or five in the afternoon to go. We do it right away in the morning. That prayer is 7 o'clock, 8.15, 8.30, it's already the circumcision. If only 20 people came, no problem. So people didn't come, so what's the big deal? Why will we learn this from, from Abraham Avinu? Abraham Avinu has to slaughter his son. The Torah said, I ashkem Abraham baboker. He got up very early. He could have kept it until 8 in the evening with a new clock now. Hashem told him to do it in the daylight. I enjoy 10 more hours with my son. No problem. Right away in the morning. Mitzvah, you don't wait. You know, show Hashem you're anxious to do it. And that's the answer to someone who asked about Net. Net is the highest tefillah. Why? Because it's the first minyan. Sunrise came. Biggest level of prayer. So the Gemara says, not only that, that milah is so important, you know, that in the old days we used to make circumcision with a stone, not like today with metal. In the time of King David, when he came to fight against Goliath, and the angel in charge of the steel, you know, so the angel in charge of the steel, King David was a great big rabbi, big with holy vision, Ruach HaKodesh, he started to speak to the angel. And he told him, I make a deal with you. I'm going to fight against this huge giant. There's no way I can win him except if you help me. I'm going to shoot with my slingshot a rock, a stone, right into his forehead. But the forehead is surrounded with a helmet made from steel, heavy steel. What's a stone can do to a steel? So let's make a deal. You open up the steel and I'm going to enter the stone in. You do that, I make a decree from tomorrow morning, every circumcision in Jewish nation forever until Mashiach comes will be done with the steel. He has a part in every mitzvah. That's the deal. That's what the Gemara teaches us. Without it, we will not know. He shot it, he fell. He didn't understand what's going on. They see a helmet, opens and closes, and he falls and dies. And that's the story you read in the Bible, King David and Goliath. Thanks to that, all the Jews were not slaves of the Philistines. You know, you know what was the deal. The Philistines came to war with Israel. So now millions will die. So they made a deal. Instead of fighting and so many people will die, you get your best hero, we get our greatest hero, and they let them fight. Whoever wins, the other nation will be slaves to the other. And they were a very cool nation, the Philistines. You know the story with Samson. So what happened with them? Right away, 
he wanted to chop his head off and he couldn't do it because the deal was that it's not enough that they fight. They have to chop his head off and bring it to the, to the camp where everyone is waiting. And once he brings it, everyone sees the head and they know that the war is over. That's the way to know that you won the war, you bring his head. You can't say, I won, you won. You know, it's hard. In a boxing, sometimes the judges disagree. He thinks he won, he thinks the other one. The only way to win is to know the other person is dead. So you bring his head. There's no more argument. So now he wants to chop his head off for a head like this. As a head the size of this room. It was a giant, you know. The old days used to be giants in Eretz Israel. The spies, the Torah, it's in the Torah. The spies went to Israel and they saw three giants over there, huge. One of them was, you know, Og and other giants. So the Torah speaks about them. So, you know, he doesn't know how to chop his head off. So he's screaming. Whoever knows how to cut his head off is going to get the best Jewish girl on earth to be his wife. Who comes? Uriah Hiti. Who is Uriah Hiti? A girl, a convert? You're not sure. He comes and he says, I know. He check. there's a special knot. Nobody knows how to open it. It's such a complicated knot. Only he knows how to open it. Why? Because he's the one who made the knot. He opens the knot. He takes the sword. Imagine the sword, the size of the sword. And they chop his head off and they bring his head. What Hashem did to him, he was, you know, in a, in a, in ha very happy that he won the war. So he made an extra sentence. What's that sentence made him? His wife was given to this Uriachiti. Bathsheba was given to him and lay there. He sees, he saw, she's his soulmate. She's the best girl for the best guy. So what happened? There was a war. Uriah Hiti deserved the execution for rebelling against the, the king with his words. But King David didn't want to kill him. He should have killed him because he deserved to be killed. But he, he started to sing, if I kill him, everyone said I kill him to take his wife, which is my wife, but I know it, they don't know it. I send him to the war and Hashem will take care of business. And he sent him to the war and that's it, he didn't come back from the war. But you should know one thing, when people went to the war, they had an obligation to write a get to their wife. Why? If you go to a prison and for, he disappeared like the Israeli pilot. Already 15, 20 years, they don't know where he is. Nobody knows. He's alive, he's dead. His wife cannot get married. She's stuck in the halacha. No rabbis will make a, a wedding. Imagine he showed up one day. There stories like this. People got remarried and the husband after many years came and knocked on the door after uh, he was a prisoner somewhere and eventually he made it to come back. Imagine such a disaster. He comes, he sees Mamzerim in the house. In his own house. Bastard, yeah. The kids are not kosher. It's a problem. That's why it's one of the most sensitive issues in the halacha. No rabbi today has the guts to write a letter to a woman that she's able to get remarried. Why? Because just imagine if her husband shows up. Even after the twins collapsed, those 11 women, it's called agunot, in a twins, Jewish women, that their husband is missing. Nobody saw the body, the head, something, some kind of proof. And because of that, they can't gather and marry ever again. Why? You saw the building collapse, so you assume they did. No, you can't assume. This is something you have to know 100%, not 99%. Why? Maybe the husband had problems with her, and now he took advantage of the situation. He came out of the building, 
and the building collapsed and disappeared. He took the first flight, he took cash, he went, he bought a ticket, and he went to Germany, and he's in Germany now. One day he changed his mind. He comes in, knock on the door, she has the twins already. What's going on here? Oh, what are you doing here, you know? How, where did you come from? You know, we had problems, and I didn't. I, I was afraid from your brothers, you know, they're in a the mafia, and this and that, so I just disappeared. There was a way for me to disappear. Everyone thought I, I'm dead. Stories like this happen a lot. Therefore, you don't know. Even if he goes in the river, and he doesn't come out, you see his clothes out, he's not, he can't assume that he's dead. You have to see the body. If you don't see the body, she can never get remarried again. Very sensitive. Unless there's two kosher witnesses that saw him dying. Even though the body has disappeared, but they saw he's collapsed with the building and they saw that he died over there. And later more buildings burn and collapse and the body disappeared. But two kosher witnesses, two Shomer Shabbos. Imagine one of them is not Shomer Shabbos. That's for life. Why is like a goy? It's a very big problem. It's specific. There's no left and right. There's only one way. Very dangerous. So the mitzvah, Moshe Rabbeinu with all his merit, you're waiting with the circumcision. One more hour and it's too late for you. But his wife saved him. And thanks to King David, with his deal that he made with the angel, he makes brit milah with metal now, with, uh, with steel. Then the, then the Gemara continues and say, Rabbi, Rabbi say, Rabbi Udanashi, the president, the Mila, the circumcision is so great that all the mitzvot that Abraham Avinu made before he was circumcised, he made many mitzvot because Hashem already told him the mitzvot of the Torah before the Torah was given 250 years later. And Abraham, how do we know Abraham kept the mitzvot? Because the Torah says, Abraham shamaret chukotai v'mevetorotai. Hashem writes in the Torah, Abraham kept my Torah. When? It's 250 years before. More even, 300 years before. But Abraham kept it. But one mitzvah he didn't do until Hashem forced him to do. It means Hashem gave him an order to do, which is circumcision, because it's a one-time mitzvah. He did it before. When you do it, when you're not obligated, you have less reward. Now when Hashem told him to do it, it's a one, once in a lifetime. He did it. When? When he was very old. Close to 100 years old. So the Gemara says, all the mitzvot Abraham made all his life, he wasn't considered perfect until he made circumcision. That's what it is. The Gemara says, כל המצוות שעשה אברהם אבינו לא נקרא שלם עד שמד, שנאמר, יתהלך לפניי ויהיה תמים. תמים means שלם, perfect. תם, תמים תהיה עם השם אלוקיך. You have to be perfect with Hashem, not 50-50. You do your best. You want to know that when you come to Hashem in your trial after 120 years, you'll be able to stand there and say, Hashem, you know I did everything I could. And we are very, very far from that. Let's admit, we're very, very far. You know what? Not only that, I wish, believe me, I'm not exaggerating, I wish that one of us will be able to come to Hashem after 120 years and say, you know, there's one day in my life, one day, not all life. Forget about all life, it's an illusion. One day that I can say to Hashem, from the sunrise to the sunset, I was perfect. Half a day, 12 hours. Perfect. I, I never found a perfect person yet. You know what does it mean, perfect? Whatever you do, you work, all your heart is with Hashem. You learn, all your heart is with Hashem. You're in a business, you're 100%. You watch your eyes, you're honest, you're this, you're nice to people, you're not getting angry, you're not... It's impossible. Almost impossible. How do we know it's possible? Because Hashem demanded from us. 
Nobody demands something that he knows there's no chance to get, right? If I come to one of you and say, listen, you know, I kidnapped your son, and I want $100 million. It's a waste of time, because I know you can get it. So what would I say? Get me 30. Because I know it's possible. 30 you can get. Even the robbers, they bring an amount that they know that people can get, because they don't want to be stuck in a catch-22. What do they do now? They have to kill the kid, and they didn't get the money. So they set up an amount that it's possible to get. Nobody tells his children to do something knowing they're not able to do it and yet punish them. The Torah says to do this and this and this and that. That means it's possible. You didn't do it, you're a criminal. To some extent. You could have done better. And because you could have done better, one of the worst minutes of a person's life is, after he dies, that the part is going to be like this. Remember my words, you're going to see it. That Hashem will show him what he achieved, and right next to it, the same person, him, what he could have achieved. What he could achieve. The ability that he had, and he showed him, this is you, great. You have a lot of mitzvot. A lot of people would be very happy to be instead of you. All these people don't keep Shabbat, don't do mitzvah. They dream to be where you are. But it won't comfort you. Because you're going to see what you could have been. And with a little more effort, dress a little bit wider, or change the pants to a dress, or whatever, Everyone with a little bit more effort can do, the, can do the job. Do you know anyone, any woman that died from changing her pants to a skirt? Believe me, after a month or two, she, it's not even an issue for her. A woman that got married and she covered her hair with a wig? Any, anyway, most of the wigs, no one tells the difference. Even the husband, if you really ask him, he can fool him. I'm with or without the wig? Let me get closer. Yes, to see. <laughs> but the Yetzirah won't let him allow his wife to put a wig. Why? That's already too much, Rabbi. Someone told me today on the phone. Okay, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reconsider Shabbat. What do you want me to do? Like he made me God already. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I say, listen, in order for you to be above the red line, Shabbat, Filin, one hour Torah. I know you don't steal. I know the person, you don't steal. Kosher, it's needless to say, he eats anyway. I say, Shabbat, Filin, you learn every day and have one hour Torah and stop with your women. Stop with that. That's what destroys you in everything you do. So he thought the last thing was too hard for him. The first three, it went smooth. And I got to the floor, I kept it to the end. You know, I didn't want to stop with that. I start with that, he says, talk to me next year. So I said, Shabbat, I didn't hear a comment. He said, Filin, silent. And I got to the window and said, ah, 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 yeah. I said, come on, do it. He said, okay, I'll do my best to do it. But that's it. I said, you know, there's always other things to do. He said, no, no, but you don't understand. I'm not interested to be a rabbi. I just want a decent life, a house. I want to be Jewish. I want to keep Shabbat. That's it. I don't want to go nuts. So I asked him, I told him, I told him, look, I want to ask you a question. Let's say you, you're having an, an opportunity to invest in a telephone company. And they make a special deal for you. You invest today a million dollars. By the end of the year, they guarantee it with government notes that it's going to become 10 million. Guarantee. Bush himself come to the to the meeting and sign. Oops, very good. You even got to shake his hand. Free. So what happened? Imagine I told him, the end of the year comes, and you stand, stand with all the investors, and one of them gets up and says, excuse me, 10 million is too much, please. Nah, don't be fanatic. I'm not interested to be so rich. Just give me $50 profit 
Give me a hundred dollars profit. You know what? To make you happy, give me half a million profit. That's enough. I don't want nine million profit on nine million. Please. You're too much. <laughs> so he said, of course not. It's not going to happen. I say, see, why when it comes to mitzvot, you always generate? You want to give your lamaba easy. I'm not interested. I'm not. So, you know why? Because you don't believe. You have doubts. That's all right. This guy is too, you know, it's driving me crazy. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's a good salesman. No. You know why? Believe me, please. I have one solution for you. You don't have, you forget all the lectures you have. I don't care. One thing, don't forget. Read the book of Dvarim, the fifth book of Moses, at least every two, three weeks. That's all. How long it takes? Two hours. Two hours a month. You willing to dedicate? You read it word by word. Nothing else. Well, in English it's easier because they already translate the words. Some words, even for Israelis, it's hard. The old language of the Bible is hard. You need a translation for that. That's why we have Rashi to, to understand what the Torah meant. But when it's already translated in the art scroll to English, it's translate, translated according to the explanation in Hebrew. So that's it. There's nothing to go wrong. You understand simple English. Read it. And then you tell me if what I say it's an exaggeration or I'm not even say 1% of how strict is the judgment in Ulamaba. Then you're going to see that not only I'm not strict, I'm the most lenient one you can think of. Less than me. It's very, very dangerous. No, it's very dangerous. Because believe me, I'm hiding all the, the punishments. You don't hear me talking about them. If you really, if I really go into the details about every little thing, you're not going to be able. How strict is the law? There's no games. Black and white. You know, I tell you, I tell you a story. I was, I was in San Diego, right? A month ago, let's say. So I gave a life, uh, two lectures over there. The second night it was life after life. And life after life. If you remember my lecture here, I think once I did it with a computer, it talks about the scientific world and their discoveries. So one of the ways the scientists, the parapsychologists, what they do is they have hypnosis. They hypnotize people. And through the hypnosis, they're able to bring people back to their previous life and they speak in different languages. And this is a well-known fact already in ecologists today. In the scientific world, no one denies it. Now, there's hypnosis. The scientists finally reach a, a, a conclusion that definitely there's an existence of the spiritual image of a person after his death. That's it. They already came to that conclusion. Everyone knows this. It's a well-known fact today. But after I left, somebody over there found a rabbi. I don't know, conservative, reform, who knows what. Told her, oh, what, do you believe in this? What do you mean, reincarnation? I told the person, what do you mean rabbi? You sure rabbi? So, yeah, the rabbi from that place, that synagogue. He told her that. I said, I don't understand. Half of the book of the Arizal is only about reincarnation. The Ariyah Kadosh. The founder, all the Kabbalah goes on this. The Torah speaks about those things. The Torah speaks, all the Gemara, which is the oral Torah, speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu, which was a reincarnation of Hevel. Cain and Hevel. Moshe was Cain, Moshe was Hevel, and Yitro was Cain. The Egyptian that Moshe killed is a part of the soul of Cain. This is all the oral Torah. We got it in Mount Sinai, all these secrets. So what do you mean? So he started to think. He said, really, you're actually right. Who can say that there's no reason? Rabbi! So what this woman said? So now I have a lot of doubts in the lecture, she said. 
because one rabbi say like this and rabbi say like this. This rabbi, chas v'shalom, he lost his olam abai in a second. He goes against Hashem. He's a liar. He's changing the Torah. This is what the reforms do. They change everything in the Torah. You allow this. This you allow. Some people come and say, Rabbi, you know, in the old days you make fire, this and this. How? Today it's very easy. You press a button and you have fire. That's not the reason why you're not allowed to create fire. And it's easier because I told you once, in the old days they had fire all the time. Candles full of olive oil and they have tiliot on top and there's light all the time. And when it's just about to be finished, they take it from here and move it to there and this is not allowed. It takes a second. You take a fire from here to here. It's not allowed on Shabbat. Yom Tov, you're allowed. In holidays, the Torah specifically says a difference. So it's not about difficult. It's not about it's very hard to, to take two, two rocks and try to create sparks. There's nothing to do with this. There's some liars, some people made all kinds of stories to confuse the people, to justify the evil way. But yeah, the Torah says you should not create any energy. Do not allow Esh B'chol Moshevotechem anywhere you are. Here, there, in the moon. You, you create a house on the moon, even there you're not allowed to create fire. B'chol Moshevotechem, no matter where you are, in Israel, out of Israel, in jail, in your house, on the street, the Torah is very specific. Everywhere you're going to stand or sit, right there you have the restriction not to create any energy. And cars, it's energy. You, press, you start the car before you even finish, just you start the car. You know how many cigarettes you like? More than a million cigarettes. Just when you start the car, before you press the gas, million cigarettes right away. And then you go out of the parking and you, drive, you press the gas for the first time. You know, tons of fire goes into the engine. And even you leave the car for a minute, it drives. Why? It costs so much energy to move such a heavy thing as a car or a truck. Millions of millions of cigarettes or lights you, you create by driving one or two minutes. And then someone can come and say, Rabbi, it's not fire. Where do you see fire? You see, my car is not on fire. Car, fire is in the engine. You have to see it. Or they say, electric. Well, electric, they didn't have in the time of the Torah. The electric is not fire. So I told one woman once, let's make a deal. You hold the light bulb, 10 seconds. If it's not fire, it's not fire, no problem, no problem, you're allowed. But if after 10 minutes you're going to go on fire and smoke, that means it's fire, no? <laughs> Let's do it. Ah, uh, people try, that's called Samnu Kazav We put a screen and hide behind it. Why? We want to lie to ourselves to relax our conscience. That's fire. That's what we are. One day I went to the rabbi to ask him a question today. So the person who has something in, in mutual with me, he told him, but yeah, but tell him everything, but don't tell him that part yet. So when I went, when I came back, I told him, I, he said, did you tell me that? I said, yes. He said, why? You should have waited without a week. I said, you don't understand. When you come to the rabbi to ask a question, you have to bring all the details. So now if you forget one or you want to forget one, the answer is not what God wants. Because you hide. And you, you tell him, Rabbi, there's a great investment. I have to do this. I have to do this. It's very cheap. For an hour you talk. You say, beautiful. Do it. Then you say, but the person who offered me the deal is a well-known cook. Last thing. After an hour you gave a beautiful speech. And I said, for sure. So why do you need me? Go. Then he said, but is there? So, oh, everything has changed now. Don't get close to that person. Now you told me the name of that person. I tell you, stay away from him. He offer you diamonds. Don't buy it. For free, don't buy. Maybe it's a bomb in it. 
Trust me, that person already has a chazaka of ganav, of a thief. You know what means chazaka? That he was convicted three times. That means something that a person does more than three times, it's already well known that he's gonna, that's his behaving. That's it. If you saw a person does something, that's it, you know, three times. That's why when we do certain things three times and we want to stop, we need a tarat nedarim. You need to reveal your nether. Why? I never made a nether. Nether is with your mouth. Not necessarily whether you actually do something. Let's say you decided to light candles, but you want to do it half an hour before Shabbat. Usually it's 18 minutes before. But you want to accept Shabbat in half an hour later. You want to be more righteous than your neighbor. It's competition in the neighborhood. So you started half an hour before, then in the fifth Shabbat it's hard for you. Say, oh, it's too much for me. I can't do it. I, I'm hardly making it. It's winter. You need a tarat nedarim for that. You have to reveal your nether because the actions indicate about what goes through your mind and through your mouth. The Gemara says the, the mitzvah of circumcision in a level and the importance of that, it's like the whole Torah. It's the covenant in the body, the three covenants in the body, Shabbat and Filin, which is the word Shabbat. What, what does a person have to have in mind when he puts feeling on? Everyone puts feeling here? Someone doesn't put feeling. The Gemara says, If a person skips one day on purpose, one day, needless to say all his life, yeah? One day on purpose. I'm not in the mood today, Rabbi. I lost money in a business today. I'm not in the mood for feeling today. I'm going to show Hashem. I'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> That's what goes through his mind. He doesn't want to say it. Today I'm not touching the feeling. No, I don't care. Oh, leave me alone. You hear sometimes this kind of conversation. So, this, this is considered a criminal. Poshea Israel de Gufo. Poshea, that's the word of the Torah. Poshea Israel de Gufo. Mara says, when a person puts filin, that's the halacha. What does he have to have in mind? Let's see who knows when he puts filin to do it in the right way. No? Who knows? Maybe the ladies will know? This is nice, nice part from the Gemara, but the halacha, what do you have to have in mind? Huh? Oh, so that's the beginning. First, you have to have in mind, I'm coming to do a mitzvah from the Torah. You have to have in mind, because mitzvot needs intention. The mitzvah, it's not enough just to do it like a robot, thinking, listening, working on a computer, busy with the numbers, and right away, and then later I said, did I put fill in today? Yes or no? I'm not sure. Did I say Birkat Amazon? How do you remember Birkat Amazon? He was reading his messages from his SMS in the time of Birkat Amazon. Do you remember the Birkat Amazon? You have to be serious. You know, I sit in front of Hashem. You say, you bless Hashem, playing with the phone, watching from the window, listening here, listening the wind, they were, he's reading newspaper, and by the way, say Birkat Amazon. Yeah, there's people like this also. So what's that? what do you have to have in mind? Oh, feeling there's two mitzvot, two different mitzvot. From the 613, it counts two, not one. The hand is one, and the head is one. That's why in the Holocaust, they didn't have one from the, for the, for the hand. 
but they had only one for the head. Everyone came and put the head and put Rashan Kishan Kishanis Pilim. one out of the two. One has nothing to do with the other. But when you have the two, when you have both of them, you have an obligation to start with the hand. It comes before the head. Why? Because the sentence in the Torah says that when you put the head, you have to have already in your arm one. If you don't have, then you don't have your anus, then you put the head. But if you have, you have to put that first. Not only that, when you open the trillion, you have to make sure you take one, the one from the hand first, not to touch the one from the head. Because once you touch it, you can't touch the mitzvah away. You have a problem. Because once you met a mitzvah, you can ignore it. Even a second, two mitzvot, you touch that, you have to start with that already. You can't pass it on. That's why when we give bread, when we do a mosti, you're the first one, they give it to you. Now people that don't know, they pass it on. No. It's your mitzvah right now, you eat. You can't pass the mitzvah on. Knowing that in a minute you also get your piece of bread. Don't be a gentleman. Because the mitzvot comes first. You have a mitzvah in your hand, grab it. A second earlier, it's better. Yes. So I say, you have to make them in order to know which side is what, that when you take it out, you don't make a mistake and take the head out. What happened if you did by mistake? So you put it, so you, so you put it down and you wait. You don't touch the, the hand, because if you touch the hand, that means you put the, the, the head for later. You put it down, you wait, you go, you come back after five minutes, it's a new start, you take it again. It's a problem. This is all little things in the halakha, that's also halakha. So also, so when you put it, you have to have in mind that it's two mitzvot from the Torah. Why is it on the heart and the brain? Because you have to dedicate the brain, which is the house of the soul, and the heart, which is the source of the evil inclination, you dedicate it to the God. Connection, it's a direct connection, direct. Special, uh, you know, metal media or something. You connect your brain and your heart directly to the source of life. And dedicate it. Once this work is on your heart and on your head, it's affecting it. That's a very big thing. What else do you have to think? It's a memory of the Exodus of Egypt. That's a sign, a covenant that God made with us. On the hand and on the head, as a memory. This mitzvah is a memory to the Exodus of Egypt, that we went to freedom. And there's other things, but if you think those, the one I mentioned, you're okay. You don't think at all, you have a problem, yes. You don't say it. You're not allowed to say it. And no, the Ashkenazim say two blessings. One, because it's two different mitzvot. So they say, L'aniach tefillin for the hand, and Al mitzvah tefillin for the head. The Faradim, however, they have an argument about it. Why? Because it's after all tefillin. And when you make one blessing, and you mention the subject of feeling, you don't need another one. The first one includes both of them, even though it's two mitzvot. It's an argument if two mitzvot must have two blessings, or one is enough. Since there's a doubt, less mitzvot is always better, because we don't want to take the risk of mentioning the name of Hashem one more time if it's not necessary. That's why if a person don't remember if he made a blessing or not, he's eating now a cake, and after a minute he says, did I make a bracha or not? It happens. Yes, no, yes, no. He doesn't have, he cannot say the bracha again. Better not to say. Continue to eat and not to say. What's the best solution? The best solution, if there's somebody else over there, tell him, do, do me a favor, eat, make a bracha, take a bite from this cake, and have me in mind. 
If I did say, there's no problem. I'm not saying the blessing of Hashem again. You say it. You say it for yourself. And if I didn't say, if I didn't say, now thanks to you, I'm able to do it. So now I'm not eating without bracha. Understand? Tzitzit and talit is different. For those who put big talit in the morning, when they put filin, the Ashkenazim has a custom that until they get married, they don't eat the big ones. But most of you, I see, are Sephardim here. So this is the halacha. When you put filin and talit in the morning, you first put the talit, obviously. So when you have the talit, every morning when you put it, you have in mind for the little talit that you have under your shelf. And that's it. You don't have to pay for the shirt. But if in the middle of the day you take a shower and you took that and you put in the one, a new small talit, you have to say, Asher Kilshan, it's not one, it's not it's it. New one. New one. But if you wear the same one after the shower, let's say you just take a shower and it's somewhere, and you put the same one on, you don't make it because you already said on that when you put the big one. Only if in the middle of the day you're changing a new one, you have to say another blessing. What happens if you put feeling a few times a day? Like in yeshivot, they put fill in. So, so they go to the bathroom, they come out, they put it again. No, every time you put fill in, you have to make a bracha. It's a new mitzvah, yes. Every time. Talit, the pen. If you know when you take off the talit, you go into the bathroom, you know when you come back to shul, you put it right back on, you don't say bracha anymore. Because you have in mind, I'm taking it off to put it right back on. But if you don't know, you take it off thinking you're not going to use it, and then half an hour later they say, hey, come, we want to give you a liah for the Torah. So you have to put it again, you have to make a bracha again. That's halachot. We have to learn the halachot. The halachot applies. All these halachot come from one mitzvah in the Torah. Thousands of arguments about one mitzvah, the third commandment. You should not carry the name of God for no reason. That's the halacha. It comes before you should not kill not a joke. In our head, what's more, what's worse? A person that blessed Hashem five times on the same apple, or a person that just killed a baby? Oh, kill a baby. He's a criminal. Don't stand next to him. He blessed Hashem ten times. The opposite. Hashem is meanless for him. He's not afraid to mention the name of Hashem. I mean, we, have some, we start from this level. But based on the Ten Commandments, it starts from the strongest to the weakest. First one, I'm your God. There's no other God, right? The second one is, you should, there's no other God than me. First one, I'm the God that took you out of Egypt. Second one, you should not have any other God. That's the problem of Christianity, right there. You should not any, have any other God. What's the third one? You should not carry the name of God for no reason. Needless to say, you cannot swear on his name. That's what the story I told you now. He still... And he hides the money in a cane because he knows the court is going to make him swear that he didn't. So you give him the cane and he swears in the name of Hashem that he doesn't have the money in his possession. And later on he takes back the stick and now it's a new beginning. Why? How high can I swear in the name of Hashem? It's the third commandment. What does it say over there? If a person does it, even repentance cannot help him. I don't know anyone else, any other mitzvah, other than a person who has the shalom slept with a married woman, which in the Alachah it says that his, his repentance has to be really, really, really perfect. It's just a joke. 50-50 can escape, can't escape from that thing. Very serious thing. Very, very serious thing. But other than that, almost everything can be right. Everything can be right. The person can make repentance. 
But even this can be erased. But when it comes to lo tisayet shem Hashem lashav, it says, kinake lo inake, Hashem will not clean that thing. Interesting, that's how big it is. That's why even when you want to bless Hashem twice, you have to think. The second time is a risk. What is this, a joke? If Hashem would be important in my eyes, I would remember if I made a bracha or not. I have it in mind. Sometimes, you know, you should come. He saw once. It's not a lie. To the person in Muncie, the way he prays. You see the way he prays? A week, you can't stop thinking about that person. You should see how he prays for hours in the morning. How he screams, how he jumps, how he cries in front of hundreds of people. Huh? I show you the guy. He goes behind the door. Because he knows he attracts attention. He screams, steals. Can't believe it. It's connected to Hashem. It's like an angel. It's not here. He doesn't care. People think he's crazy. First time I saw him, I thought to myself, there's two possibilities here. Either it's the biggest Meshuganet, or it's the biggest Tzadik in the world. One of the two. There's no in-between. Later I found it's the other one, the second one. Big Tzadik. One time I drove into the shul, winter early in the morning, cold. I see him walking in the street. And I'm going to the opposite direction. He goes from the shul to the, out of the area. And I'm going with a face into the shul. And then I look at him from the window. And I say, wow, here is that tzaddik. <laughs> it's amazing. In the old day, I used to be impressed from all these phony people. <laughs> Today, it's my world changed, you know. So I say to myself, should I make a U-turn and take him somewhere? Or maybe I'm thinking, yes, no. Then I saw in my window, in my, wi- in my mirror, but he looked around, so he saw that I made an eye contact with him, and I said, if he turned his head, I gotta make a U-turn. I made a U-turn, I asked him, you need a ride? So he looks at me, he said, yeah, you want to take me? Fine. He got his set in the car, it was very far when I took him. But I was the happiest mitzvah, I drive with him, I speak to him in the car. I almost asked him, how can you play like this? Tell me the secret. 40, 50, he's by now 50 years old. 50 years old to play like this? Fire inside. Just think the end of these people as opposed to our end. When we get to Hashem, they say, Hashem, did you pray for me every day? Did you love me? Did you ask for what you need from me or from the friends? So he said, Hashem, yeah, I pray every day. Well, of course, you know, I came to show three times a day. Now he shows you, you and him. Hashem, okay, move to the next question. Why? That's the right way and that's... And I said, that's also a way. It's better than not to play, obviously. There's levels. It's always levels. Up and down. It goes up and down. There's no end. But to play like this, you know that's the right way to play. If it's possible, if Hashem shows you there's a way to do it, that means it's possible. Here, there's someone who does it. For 50 years, he does it every day, for hours. There's one rabbi, Rav Moshe Malka, his name. He goes to prayer. What takes up 10 minutes here, you soon see, 10, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, wow, it's long already, people look at the what. His prayers, Arvid, it can be two hours, three hours, in the morning it can be five hours. Five hours, he sits to eat breakfast, he can be until the night. Why? He begins to talk the Bretora. It's not like me, I look at the watch, 11 o'clock, I already say I'm speaking two hours, I promise not to go over two hours. With him, yes, as you said, as soon as you sit, it's until the evening. What happened? He has meetings. He has people waiting. His wife. The world does not exist. He begins to talk the Torah. All of a sudden, you're 10 hours in a breakfast. 
and you can't get up. You can't get up. Not only that, if you have nine people over there, he refused to make Birkat Amazon until you find the tenth one. So he sent someone, go find another one to come eat. So another person come, yes, can I help you? Come, come eat with us. Doing someone for the street. What is this? Come, come, sit, make the netila. You know, you Sit, make, sit over here. Very good, eat. Eat, so now we can do Birkat Amazon, we can. It has to be ten. Different world, different world. Anyway, we'll do a we'll do few more things for tonight. Yeah. Three and a half years, that's the time you need to check. What, what, made, what made it questionable? From the beginning you know it's questionable, or now you all of a sudden something happened to it? Okay, every feeling that is questionable, if you gather from a kosher person, it's not questionable. Because the minimum we can expect from a Jew is to to shake when he gives feeling or mezuzah to someone. Because Shalom, if it went kosher, and, and that's because of his ignorance or because of he wasn't careful enough, or he doesn't care about somebody, or whatever the case is, that person will put feeling for years and it's his fault. He loses everything. You are the reason that one Jew made every day the effort and he didn't have the mitzvah? You know what the risk is this? You have to know a million times what you do, where you get it. You buy from the best people. If you know that you deal with a kosher person, it's chazakah that it's kosher. And he, you know, one of these rabbis here, all these Bukharian rabbis, it's all kosher, kosher rabbis here. So if you know they gave it to you, you don't have to check it. But you still have to check it after three and a half years. Because sometimes, you know, it's freeze, it's expense, summer heat, sometimes you leave it in a car, and it's very, very hot, you know? So what happens? It can melt. The ink can melt. Not only that, humidity can make the ink spread. I just had a mezuzah like this, which one drop of water fell on it. Because when you fold it, you have to make sure the place is clean. Somehow, I don't even know how it happened, because they open. Until we roll them, they open. I, I check the mezuzah before I roll them. I see everything is okay. I see a little bit dirt, black dirt. That means there was humidity on it. It's interesting. I took it to the to the place to fix it, just to clean it. Fix it in not even a minute. Ten dollars. That yeah, it's expensive. Then I had one mezuzah. That they, wrote, they forgot to write the name of Hashem, Shin, Dalet, and Yud in the back of the mezuzah, which is still next to kosher if you don't have it. But you know, I buy hundreds of mezuzahs every year. Once, I, once for the first time, I called that they skipped that. So I took it to write it. I'm not going to give someone, even though it's kosher, I'm to say, I don't give someone something that I myself wouldn't put it on the door the way it is. That's my rule. I put it, I give it. If I have a doubt of that, not to put it, I don't give it out. Why? His life is less than me? What? Is less Jewish? His blood is not as red? You have to think that way, because it's a risk. It's a risk is a business, you know? Someone count on you and you make him have shalom, waste his time all his life. So, the same thing, just to write one word, ten dollars. Just one word. Imagine based on that how much a mezuzah should cost. Yeah, everything in America is three times more than the prices of Israel. But, the answer to your question is, if it's questionable, you can put it if you don't have any other kosher one, but you put it without blessing. You don't say the blessing. For the exact same reason I just told you. 
because chas v'shalom if it's not kosher then it's gonna count that you made a blessing bracha levatala and if you Ashkenazi it's two brachot levatala because they say for the head as well unless if the, the hand is kosher and the head is not kosher it could be sometimes the mistake in the hand or the head so it could be one bracha was for good but whatever if one if you Swaradi by the way and you put both of them and in, eventually you chas v'shalom find out that one of them is not kosher the bracha is not levatala because the bracha was connected at least to the kosher one. There was a reason to say the bracha even without the other one. Understand? The Torah says, in the beginning, when Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, everything he was teaching him, he started to forget. He remember, remember, remember. Eventually, when they get to a point, he begins to forget the beginning. And then, he gives the more, he forgets the less and less and less. So the more he learns, he forgets the, the, the beginning, the first stuff that he was learning. Mara says, until in the end, after Hashem went all over everything, Hashem gave him the Torah as a gift. It's above the ability of a human being to memorize in his head all the Torah. It's not possible. Even in this generation, in our generation, nothing even to talk about. At least in your generations, you know, there was one rabbi, Rabbi Ovadi Yosef, bringing his book, a story. And there was one rabbi in Iraq, in, Iraq, in Baghdad. It's called Bavel. The story is approximately 1,000 years ago, 1,200 years ago, something like that, maybe 1,100 years ago. And that rabbi went from Bavel to Italy. And he landed in a place in Italy, and he came to the place, and there was a shul, there was people over there, Jews. And he asked them, where is the Gemara? Because remember, there was no printing. People that wanted a, a Gemara, they had to write it with their hand. So he went through all town and he couldn't find a Gemara. And he, and he said, and he wrote the whole Gemara by heart. Thousands of pages by heart. He wrote everything by heart. This was over a thousand years ago. But if you tell him to write the Gemara, plus the Torah, plus Shulchan Aruch, he couldn't. The Navim, the, the Midrashim, so that. 70,000 books, approximately, we are aware of. 70,000. And not 70,000, because some series have 12, and some 6, and some 10, and some 20. So multiply it, and you have maybe three, 400,000 books. It's a very wide religion. You know, the more you, the more you learn, you understand how much more you don't. But oh, Hashem, is the word of God. It's no end to it. But there's the main thing, the source, which is the written Torah, the Gemara, the Kabbalah, the Shulchan Aruch, Rambam, the Rishonim, Rashi about the Torah. This is the foundation. If you don't know that, then you have a problem. But the rest, who says that you have to know every book that was written in the last thousand years? It's important to know certain things from those books. But to say that every book that was written by the greatest people ever lived, you have to know everything by heart, it's not mandatory not the obligation. The obligation is to know the Torah, written and oral Torah, you do have an obligation to learn. And not to forget, to repeat, to repeat, to repeat until you memorize everything. The Vilna Gaon wrote the Torah from left to right. 304,000 letters and 805 from left to right by memory, 200 years ago. This is only six, seven generations again. That's all. But today we don't have, I mean, you know, we have some rabbis, like Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, we have, we have few. We have Rav Chaim Kanievsky, which is well known as an unbelievable memory. 
He knows many, many books by heart. We have Rabbi Ovadi Yosef, is well known as the greatest memory in the world. And also there's another rabbi, an Ashkenazi rabbi, his name is Rabbi Yoshua Cohen. It's Baki Bashat. They say about him that every page you talk, he knows the page by heart. There's a story that I heard from someone that he went to a place, and there was a person over there, and they said, if you want, you stick a needle in the Gemara, you make holes in the pages, stick a scoop, and then before you flip over the page, you'll be able to tell you where is the next hole, in what world, before you, for a thick book like this. It's all like photographic memory. They know all of it, because that's what they dedicate their life. 100%. And in order for you to get to such level, obviously you have to watch your eyes, you have to watch what you eat, you have to watch what you hear, and so forth and so on. I will say one more thing, and then I'll give you some time for questions. The Gemara says, the seven things were created before the world. Before the material world was created, they were already created. What are they? The Torah. How many generations before the world was created, the Torah was ready? 974 generations. Then the tshuva, the ability to make repentance, is against the rules of nature. It's impossible that you do 70 years mistakes, and you murder, and you kill, and you steal, and this and this and that, and in the end you're going to come and make repentance in the last month of your life, and Hashem is willing to forgive you. This is against the rules. Something like this should have been created before. Before. It's above the nature. Because it's not realistic. You know, like I once gave you an example. You can't owe money for a phone company for the rest of your every day, every week, every week. And then one day you say, okay, you know what, let's start fresh. We'll start from tomorrow, I'll start to pay. What about the millions you owe us in the last 40 years? So it doesn't work. So tshuva has to be before. Eden, Garden of Eden, what we call heaven, was ready. Hell also was ready before. The chair of Hashem, what we call Kisah Kavod. Bet HaMikdash, the structure for Bet HaMikdash was ready before. The altar, all the rules of Bet HaMikdash, the Kruvim, this, that, Parochek, the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, everything connects to Bet HaMikdash was ready before the world was created. And the name of Mashiach was decided. What's going to be the name of Mashiach? What's his name? Inon. You know Inon? Not Inon Kazan. If you know who he is. Inon. Inon ve'eliyah ani sholeach. You know that song we sing in Yom Kippur? Inon, who is Inon? Mashiach. And Eliyah, who is Eliyah? Eliyah Anavi, that comes to announce that Inon is on the way. One thing I want to just talk about, I know that a lot of people here speak to me about, you know, relationships. They want to get married. When they come to the lecture, they may, they may like one girl or she may like that guy. You know, not only as far as his face and his, his look, as far as he's a nice person, intelligent, he knows a lot, whatever, whatever the case is. So obviously it's not a scene for two individuals that they want to establish some relationship in order to get married. But it's a scene not to do it in the right way. You have to know that even to this issue, which is a very important insight, the first mitzvah in Judaism is to get married and to have children. You have to do it in the right way. You just can't get married because you saw someone is handsome or, so, or one girl is pretty or she's very tall. That's not what makes the connection. I mean, it's important. You have to love how your wife looks. 
You have to love it. You can't marry a woman not knowing you're not attracted to her or you don't like her or the other way around. It's a very big mistake for parents to pressure their children to marry someone that they don't like. Why? Because he has a lot of money. Why? Because his parents are the president of the community. Who cares about these things? You have to have some kind of connection. And I'm not talking spiritual. Spiritual is needless to say. We're talking for physical connection. But you like her and she likes you. Without it, there's nothing even to talk about. Today, however, some people that I don't know who fooled them and got them to the impression that it's not a big deal not to love, not to have any attraction. It's going to come later, a year later. You build your relationship up. Forget about it. This is, belongs to a thousand years ago. Today, you have to love who you're going to get married. She's not pretty in your eyes. Even a thousand people convince you, don't listen to them. Why? Three months later, you get, you're going to have to write a get. It's every day. That's right. You can't argue with the facts. So, but to think that this is only what you establish your relationship on, it's also not going to work. Because you're crazy about the way she looks, and you love her, and, and you have butterflies in your heart, and you wait until the phone rings. Forget about it. That's also the, the evil inclination that plays a role here. You're going to see later on that that's nothing. It's going to be the last thing on your list. So there are certain things you have to check. You have to check if she's modest. Number one, a girl, she's not modest, stay away from her. She's, she's going to bury you. She's not modest in her clothes, that means she's not modest in her heart. That means it doesn't bother her that pony and Vini enjoying from her body the way she walks in the street. It doesn't bother her. That means one more step, she's going to go with them. She's going to buy her a great bottle of wine and a great perfume or something when you be out of town, she's going to fall into his trap. There's no, there's no, there's no separation between her and society. It's not a problem for her that people will look at naked pictures all over the world in the internet. Someone like this, you want to be the mother of your children, you have to be not so normal to do it. You have to know if you meet someone, it could be a girl that wasn't mothered, but she made repentance. She changed her way, she changed her clothes. But not, it's not enough. Even if you're kosher, and she's kosher, she dress right, you dress right, you put yamaka, she 100%, she comes to shoot, she reads the ilim, she eats kosher, she, yeah, she wants a great house. It's not enough to know one thing. The biggest mistake you make in your life is touching one another. I'm not talking having full relation, it's needless to say, you know, you did that, you finish, that's it, it's correct. Oh, correct, it's needless, that's a big thing. We are talking just touching the hand, touching the shoulder, walking out to the car. Sometimes in a meeting you forget, you shake hands, things like this. That's going to lead to something else. But even if it doesn't lead, you are very strong. You are a strong person. It's only a handshake. That's it. Or maybe you set a red line for you. It's only a kiss. That's it. Not more than that. It's not going to, believe me, I know what I'm doing. I know what karet is. I don't want to get to karet. Rabbi, trust me, that's it, we made a line. I mean, look, we're, working, we're going out together for three, four months. What can we do? Until I make two million dollars, she doesn't want to marry me. So it's a problem, you know. What am I going to do until, so for five years I'm going to date her? And I, so you have to know. If, for whatever reason, it's not practical to get married fast, and I would you want her, she wants you, you decided that this is the right decision, and that's it. And now for whatever reason, either they don't have money, or he has to go or he, she didn't finish the, 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 the seminar, she goes to a seminar and she has to finish, she can't get married in the middle of the semester, or whatever, all these stories. Or her parents cannot get a, a visa to enter to come to the weddings. There's all kinds of reasons today. 
So whatever the reason is, if they know that it's going to take long, they have to separate temporarily. Talk on the phone once a week, it's enough. Why? Because the evil inclination is a genius, and this world is going to bury you. Before the wedding is going to make you touch one another, because then he's going to come to Hashem after your wedding and say, what? They don't deserve peace in the family. They don't deserve good kids. They started in the wrong way. You, Hashem, say that everything starts according to the rule is blessed forever. And everything starts against the rule is cursed forever. Where is the justice? What are you going to do? You buried yourself with your own decisions. So in order for you not to fall into this trap, you have to know that if it's few weeks, few whatever, as long as you know that things don't go out of control, the decision was made, you're just now dating for what? What are you dating for? Just to see one another? That's, the, that's what the Satan is, is into. The next thing, you're going to make into the sin. What do you think? Most of these couples fall into the sin in the end. And then they wake up, eh, what did we do? Why did I do it? She cries, she's, she's nervous, they want to commit suicide. Why? If they know what they did. Some people don't even know what they did. They don't understand what karet means. They don't understand that even if you make repentance, even if you go to Yom Kippur 20 years, even if you do this and this and this, you can't erase that sin until you suffer for years, Hashem. Suffering, read in the Rambam, in Elchot Shuvah. Averot of karet, Averot of Karet and Chilul Hashem, even Yom Kippur doesn't erase. Only suffering. And suffering is painful. Back problem, feet problem, eyes problem, surgery again and again, kick you out of college, you have to find another place. This is suffering. Losing a lot of money, investing in a great investment and they, they steal all your money. Whatever. I can give you millions of ways of suffering. Suffering never comes to a person just because he has blue eyes. He got it because he deserved it. He deserved it most likely because his previous his, his existing life. And if it's not because of this life, it's from previous life. But it's him. It's the same person in different body. It doesn't matter. It's you. You came to this world with the same problem you brought from previous life. That's why sometimes a lady asked me in a lecture that I gave in New Jersey a few days ago, she came after the lecture and she wanted to talk to me about a problem. What is the problem? She knows someone that is a gay. That's their problem. And she begins to ask a lot of questions. How is it possible? Because since he's a kid, he's behaving like this. And she asked me, is it possible that it's not in his hand? Because we know you're speaking about free choice and this and this and that. So I answer her. You should know this answer for those who make this argument. Nowhere in the Torah. We found a punishment for someone that got something from God. God never punished for something he gave you. If he gave you curly hair, we never saw in the Torah to kill you because you have curly hair. Even when you make it in, by the salon, you still don't die. So I have curly hair. No problem. Nobody ever died because you have blue eyes. Nobody ever died because it's short. Nobody ever died because it's tall. Nobody ever died because it's a sick person. It's weak or strong, or whatever. No, 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 we never saw any punishment for the way you were created. We only saw punishment for sins. Why? Because the sins is in your hand 100%, to do or not to do. You could avoid it, it's in your choice. Or, you did it. So when you did it, you deserve a punishment. You didn't do it, you deserve a reward. Why you deserve a punishment? Because you could have not do it. It was in your hand. And yet, we see the punishment for this sin is execution, it's stoning. It's a big sin. 
No mercy on people like this, the Torah says. Even the Pope. Forty years he was talking against it. Because that's the Torah. The Christians read the Torah. They know what the Torah is. They know that you can't change the Torah. Because the Torah says what God's opinion is about it. It's true that they changed 99% of the Torah to their side to be more convenient for them. But when it came to that issue, he was standing on that street. No, I don't need him. Who, who, who needs his opinion? We have our own Torah forever and ever. So I told her, the fact that there is a punishment, it shows it's a sin. So now we have the question that she asked. Well, how come sometimes they are five, six, seven years old, and you see already they play with the, they don't play with, they're more feminine, the way they behave. So the answer to it is because this is what he was in his previous life. And he did not, and he did not correct, he did not correct his sin from his previous life. And he came to this life as a continuation from the previous life. It's a continuation, and he has the same desires like he died with. And he was lucky that God gave him another chance for whatever reason. It could be that he was, in general, in a previous life, doing a lot of mitzvot. And thanks to his mitzvot, Hasbe Shalom, he didn't get reincarnation in a crow or in a snake, or in an axe. Because if you read in Shara Gilgulim, these kind of people get the worst reincarnations in animals, in dogs, lower animals. So if he came as a normal human being with a free choice, what do you see from that? That something was, some kind of merit he had that he got another chance. But it's very hard for him. So the answer to this is, he gets 18, 20 years old, and he comes to his parents, if he's brave enough, and he says, I can't get married. I don't like women. I don't like. I have a problem. What's going to be with me? The answer is false. I have three like this. I was talking like this, and walking like this, and everything like this. They became Shomer Shabbos. One of them I know for sure is married, and he has children. It's true that they don't enjoy marriage like you enjoy, like a normal person. It's true, they suffer from that because their desire is in somewhere else. But it's the same thing like a person is married to a woman and he loves another woman. And she didn't want him and she married another woman and he always loved her. And, he, and now he's stuck with this woman because it was the best he could get after that one. And all his life he's thinking about the other one, so he's not really enjoying his marriage. But he lives according to the rules. He's, he's faithful to his wife, knowing that she's not the love of his life. So what? In life, nothing is perfect. Not, not one person can tell you, I made every penny that I could. No, people make and people lose. And in the end, they hope to make more than they lose. You know anyone that say, you know, I never lost a penny. Everything I touch, is I get the maximum out of it. No. Life is full of tests. You up, you down. You could have been much more, you could have been much worse. Bottom line is, it's not going to be perfect. You're not writing a request. And even if you make a request, you're going to see a year later that what you requested, it's not what you want a year later. Every, your request will change according to time. So you should know one thing. Even though it's hard, even though they prefer something else, they still have the test. The same thing as a single guy has a desire for a girl and he wants to live with her even without marriage because they're too young and he has to hold himself and for that he gets a huge reward, they get the same reward for not doing the thing that they want to do. And that's it, and that's their test. And this is what they fail in the previous life and that's why they start in a very young age because from the beginning that's their test. Same thing you see by the kids, stingy kids. They don't give a, a candy, nothing. Take away something from them, they destroy the house. Because that's the way he was in his previous life. And so forth and so forth. You see angry kids. You see kids like this. You see kids like this. This is another problem. 
in the personality of a human being that needs to be corrected. But how do we know that it's in his hand to correct it? Because there is a serious punishment for that. And if it was in his genes, if he couldn't control it, he wouldn't get a punishment. The opposite, the Torah says, understand him, give him attention, he's a miserable person, help him in a time of problem, that's not what the Torah says. And so forth, it applies to all the it's a rule now. Every time you want to know if the thing is in your hand or not, look at the Torah. There is a punishment for that, that means it's in your hand, to correct it. There's no punishment for that, nobody ever said in the Torah it's a sin, that means it's not in your hand. You understand? Like the same thing, I cannot fly. I'm not going to get punished for the fact that I didn't fly every day. Because uh, that's not my ability, it's not my purpose. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes, the same for Goim also, this kind of thing. It applies to them also. Karet, the punishment Karet means the Torah says for certain things and the soul should be cut out of my nation. That's what it says. The Nichreta Nefesh Haim Israel. It should be cut out of Israel, it should be cut out of my nation, and so forth and so on. And that's the highest, the worst, worst shalom punishment you find in all the Torah. You find many ways. The Torah says you get diseases, you get sicknesses, you lose your money for that sin, you do this, you do that, you live without children. It's all terrible. What's above everything? When the Torah says, There should be correct for that soul. What is it? Shabbat, not keeping Shabbat. Homosexuality, all these things, all kinds of uh, crimes in a family with, with your daughter, with this and that, all these things we hear all the time. Eating chametz in Pesach in three weeks from now. How many people see drinking beer, drinking whiskey, eating this, eating uh, mayonnaise, it's meat, eating uh, rice cookies that have powder on it. Even that uh, potato chip, some of them have powder on it. If you read, it's called uh, wheat starch. They put, as a part of the spices, on the Pringles, for instance. Pringles, you look at the ingredients, no, who knows that Pringles is chamez? You think it's potato chips, no? 100% chamez, you eat bread. Flour, flour with water you eat. Chamez. Beer, a lot of people may not know that beer. Spaghetti, cookies, it's needless to say. Pesach is coming. The last week before Pesach, I will make a lecture here about Pesach from A to Z. What is the Pesach? What's the secret about it? What's the meaning of Lela Seder? What's so special about that night? Why do we have all these cups, all these matzot, all these things? A Jew needs to know that. It's one of the most important days in Judaism, the night of the Lela Seder. It's the night of the order, that's what it's called. You make order for the rest of your year. Because remember, sometimes in life you get what you ask, but you got it in a bad timing. If you got it a week earlier, it would work for you ten times more. Hashem listened to your question. You didn't get it in the right timing. One of that things is the Lela Seder. That's what we call it, Lela Seder, the night of the order, the night that makes orders in our life. Once you make order in your life, then it's obviously the rain comes on time, it lands on time, your marriage is on time, your kids is on time. Everything has its own timing. Timing has a lot to do with it. Any more questions before we finish? Time is up. Yes. It's true what you ask. It's a very, very uh, complicated question. So I once read an answer. One guy like this anonymously sent a, a, a question to a rabbi if he has to tell the woman about his, his previous problem, 
because now he obviously wants to take care of the problem, if he has to tell her or not, so the answer is yes, he has to tell her. But obviously we know that a lot of them will not tell. And as long as, you know, it's a very, very hard question because sometimes she will never know. All her life she will not know. We're not talking about someone who's going to do things behind her back. Somebody like this is a criminal. It's like any other one that cheats with his wife, on his wife with another woman or Goya or whatever. She's involved. We're talking someone who's tzaddik. That's it. He stopped with this. He has this desire to free this life because he made things like this. But he doesn't do it. And remember, 99% in the world today, when they marry not according to the Torah, they have all the time all kinds of fantasies about other women. They're not faithful to their wife. But not all of them materialize their fantasies. Why? For many reasons. They're afraid, they're embarrassed, they, they feel terrible. If they do it, they will hate themselves. They, they feel for the kids. They feel pity for the woman. She's such a good woman. They don't want to do it to her out of gratefulness or whatever you want to call it. Or sometimes they have a lot to lose. They get caught. They have the president of a big company. Not everyone is a fool like Clinton. The president of the United States is fooling around. He's an idiot. Should have known that somebody in your position don't, you're not allowed to do what other people are doing. Because if they get caught, 500 people know about it. If you get caught, 500 million know about it. It's a big thing. Should have known, but obviously he can control himself. Because a person that lives like an animal, he, his instinct is like animals. And that's why they all do it. Like the Gemara says, we need to face him up. That's what the Gemara says. Why? They don't have the ability to handle their desires because they don't have Torah. Torah educates a person. And how do you know it? Look at the thing those guys have learned Torah. Two, three, five years they learn. They are 23, 24, and they never touch the woman. And they're not dying out of it. They're not dying. Why? Because they're learning Gemara in the holiness of life. The problem begins when you leave TV, commercials, dirty magazine, you walk in the street, you look. That's when the problem begins. Gemara says it starts in the eyes. That's why the first ruling we said in Shema Israel, do not follow what your eyes see. Certain things what your eyes see, you're allowed to follow, and certain things it's not allowed because it would lead you to cut your soul permanently. And we say it in Shema every day, Shema Israel, Lo Asher Aten Zonim Acharem. For those who understand Hebrew, it doesn't say after you sinning after your eyes. It doesn't say, it says Zonim. That means sex crime. What is the prostitute called? Zona. Zonim. It shows you that the eye will bury you by looking at all these women. And that's why the Gemara said, person that look in the hands of a woman and enjoy from her, uh, from her fingers is already a sin. A hand. What's a hand? She, she, she's typing in a computer. Because the hand is just the beginning. It will lead you to where you really want to go, to the full thing. It's not the hand. You understand? That's why modesty by a woman is strict. It cannot be above the uh, above heel. Cannot be above the elbow. The elbow. It has to be un below the elbow. Even when she folds her hand, she's wearing a t-shirt. It has to be below here. Up to here, there's no attraction. It's not elbow. From here and up, it begins. The evil inclination begins to work. Who knew it better? Us or God? God knew the rules. And God says, scared not to show any intimate part of the body. Not necessarily naked means not to show the shape of it. That's why the skin has to be wide, not so tight. It takes her 25 minutes to dress it. And then she goes like this. <laughs> you know, what is this? Yeah. 
Huh? I didn't say the Gemara said. She has to cover from here. No, here I'm saying to you, up to here she's obligated because from here and up it starts the imagination. But if a person even looks at her hand, thinking what a nice hand, it's also a thing. Even if the hands are enough, what do you want her to cover her hands? So what is she going to do? She's going to touch her hands to the ground? She gets fired. Ah. I had so many jokes for you, but something happened to the joke. Whenever I come with a joke, I forget the joke. Huh? Yeah. Pesach, I'll make a whole lecture about Pesach. I'll give you a joke. One person, this is the final word for today. I close the computer to relax you. So, this is a, one person came to a store to buy a brain. So they had uh, three different brains. You know, in America I heard that when you want to tell a joke about foolish people, you say Polish, right? Whatever, I don't know why. But whatever, a Polish guy, so they have three brains in a window. One half a million dollars, one seven hundred and fifty, and one a million. So he comes in to the store, he says, I have problems with my brain, I want to get a brain transplant. So they said, okay, we have a brain for half a million, we have a brain here, we have a brain here. You see the different types. You say, what is this? He said, this is the brain of a pilot. It's pilot, it's half a million. Okay, beautiful. And what's this? Why it's more expensive? He said, that's 750,000. It's the new, it just came out. The new fashion today. What is it? A PhD from Harvard. And he said, shh, wow, that's much better than a pilot. And so what's this? He said, that's a million, but that's the gold. That's everyone. We have a lot of customers once that. So what's that? It's just a Polish brain. He never talks. Brand new. He <laughs> got it or not? Brand new. He never had to see. It's brand new. Brand new computer. Thank you very much. See you on Wednesday with Rakashen. Tomorrow morning, quarter to seven.